Say that again. So Wikipedia is just so damn interesting. <laughs> Every single time we do this, it almost descends into let's just read Wikipedia together. Hey, welcome back to the Engineering Podcast. <laughs> welcome back. I'm Adam. Uh, I'm Brian. Uh, that's that's actually so. It's a perfect. We didn't we we already tried to record this once today. It's Classic been a long blunder. day. Classic blunder. Uh, so let's do a podcast. Heck. Um, issues. We're pros, and we still have technical issues. Don't be discouraged, it's, people. It's like a podcast lesson, right there. That's also a radio lesson and a television lesson and a movie lesson. <laughs> like, they all cost that much because you still have technical problems. <laughs> but you should check out another podcast that we've been into called David Reads Wikipedia. <laughs> it's outstanding. He's just a dude from, I think, New Zealand, maybe Australian. I'm bad at telling you where people are from, from their accents. That's pretty good, though. You're good in a region. Um, and he just reads and provides a little commentary as he's reading on Wikipedia articles. <laughs> it's awesome. I listened to the whole thing like in two days. Now I'm just waiting for him to put out new ones. Great. We've I literally about went to Patreon. I was like, can I give this man money so he'll continue to do this? And I couldn't find it. We should try an episode like that. I think it'd be fun. Um, I'm down for this to be a variety show, by the way. But we also promised... <laughs> hope everyone else is. We're trying to drive it that way. That's the idea of these the guests, right? Yeah. Um, we can talk about some ideas I had with a group of friends the other night. So at the end of last podcast. week, not on the podcast? Yeah, I yeah. wanted there to be some surprise for our listeners, you know? Good That's work what session. keeps people fired up. But last week, we, we, we actually pitched something, so I feel like we need to... We teased something, so I feel like we need to follow through. Yeah, we got to be super consistent, everyone on us. <laughs> Consistency is <laughs> of great, Almost. clearly of the greatest importance to us. Um, what was it? Oh, the Olympics. So, so now it's well after the Olympics. Fidget, but this first came up just after the Olympics when there were a couple of there were headlines going around about how millennials didn't tune in to watch the Olympics. And many a friend of mine responded with, well, you made it really hard to watch the Olympics, sir. <laughs> Why, thank you, sir. You've made it very difficult for me. They so, did. I think I got way angrier the first time we recorded this. But I think the whole thing just sort of boils down to like the state. So what you're talking about when you say people didn't watch the Olympics is millennials didn't watch the you, Olympics. Millennials didn't. Not tune in. Damn millennials. Is that this particular demographic didn't watch the thing. But what you're saying is they didn't consume the content that you produced for them against which you plan to sell advertising. In the manner in which you expect them to consume it. In the manner in which you expect them <laughs> to consume it. And, and I think it's ridiculous to hold the preferred method of media consumption against any generation at any time. Like, would you look at your parents and be like, you, you, you used to listen to eight tracks? What a bitch. Like, that's what they had at the time. It was better than nothing. That's a good I point. Think it's, I was going to reply with, I do make fun of people for listening to records, but it's not people who grew up listening to records. It's people who now think the records are better. And it's but certainly are my not age. people in the <laughs> 70s when that's all that you had. Totally. That's cool. <laughs> so, like, 
And so let's take it back to like I think exactly that mentality. Why didn't you watch it? Like philosophically, as a rule, apply to media. Like it's not because people weren't interested in the Olympics. It's because it was delivered via record. I tried. (laughs) It was delivered via record. That's good. I tried to watch (laughs) the Olympics. I was very excited for a bunch of different things, especially the volleyball. And so I downloaded the NBC. I think it was NBC, NBC's Olympic app on my Apple TV, which is my primary form of consumption for media and the other like seven sticks I need to plug into my TV to be able to watch stuff that I want. But I certainly don't have cable because that seems dumb. I don't need I don't watch sports and that's the only thing they can still get you with. So or so I thought dun dun dun. I loaded the Olympic app and it was okay. It had stuff. It had a lot of events uh but it just kind of sucked like it would freeze a lot when i tried to pause something it would mess up and restart and then i had to watch the ads again and it was just its ads would run over the actual footage and so like a key moment in an event i was watching the ad would play and then the footage would never be available it would always run the ad in that period so not things that really matter but I have a lot of options for things to do in my life, and I'm not going to sit and watch something that's broken. I'm either going to go watch something else, or I'm going to go do something else. Even you're leaving out a step. So you walked me through like the process of trying to watch the Olympics and being frustrated generally, like shitty product, shitty content delivery. But like there was a step before that because you you had to actually you had to have a subscription that came with the code to the actual cable channel. So you couldn't watch the Olympics even through the app unless you already could be watching it through a cable box, but you're not. Yeah, I had to have a cable subscription to watch something on my Apple TV, which I understand is probably even bigger than that one company. Um, It's probably not NBC's and other contracts for that, but it was so stupid. I downloaded their app and then had to uh, maybe sign up for cable, maybe not. And so the fact the fact that that happens ends up being like uh it's it's really annoying to the generation that isn't used to this sort of like thing that stops us from getting what we want <laughs> which sounds such such a terrible way to say it right well you but said it like, the way other people people who right, dislike that's the way they say it right say like it. like but it's not it's it's we've never been we've never had media delivered via any conduit but like the way that we we wanted it like well, computer it's, that's it's not just, even really true no, just we that, grew up through the evolution of this technology so the uh the issue i think is just that there are a lot of options and if i wanted to watch the olympics i would figure out how to do it uh and if i can't figure out how to do it and my desire to watch it is lower than my desire to figure out how to watch it, then I'm just going to go do something else. So I actually really wanted to watch the Olympics. I put a lot of effort into figuring out how to do it, and it was a pain in the ass. So well, and I probably won't bother next time unless it's well, easier. And so I have it's other things like, to do. But so in that world, the whole planet feels that way. You were still excited to watch the Olympics, and you went to this app, and I guarantee you, your first like, what's the story of this experience moment? was, oh, cool, I can actually watch it here because in past I have not been able to, and was... now I can. And then you fired it up, sitting there with your popcorn, thinking I'm going to watch a, a, a fucking 100-meter <laughs> world record, and the thing didn't work. 
And by the time you could make it work, the race was over. And then you finally made it work and you and you get to watch some post game bullshit in it's choppy and it's terrible. Like you're just the next time you're like, hey, I'll watch the Olympics. Actually, on second thought, let's not. And you go do something <laughs> else. <laughs> and that's not your fault because you won't make yourself static for the delivery mechanism of your like it was frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just I just think it's it's on it's on content creators. It's on it's on people who want to deliver content to work with the creators to make something compelling to reach an audience. And part of the job is learning how that audience behaves cuz you just have to go find them where they are. It's a you huge part. It's a huge part of anything is delivery. You can't force them one direction or another in the digital world because we're we grew up with stuff just coming to us because everything was new. And if they could monetize it, then they could persist with that technology. So like Betamax versus VHS, if you ever hear old people talk about it, <laughs> was, was a format war between which type of tape was going to work. And VHS worked. Be- it was worse. Well, it was honestly, worse it worked technology. because porn adopted it because it was cheaper. The tapes yeah. were cheaper. It won. It won the battle because the tapes so were the lesser cheaper. technology worked because it got out there faster. So if you run that over and over again, that's what we grew up with. People are constantly trying to make something so cool that will adopt their medium so they can have the power of a delivery mechanism. But the old guard is like... And so this ends up being interesting and a, and a segue into the next thing. Because, like, part of it is you almost can't blame the entities that are complaining that millennials aren't watching. Because in order to affect change, uh, like, so their whole existence, that company has only had to run more or different marketing and try a different price something something. And they would see metrics go up. Like, oh, people are signing up again. Like, they weren't entirely beholden to content because... The only way you could do what TV does, watch a thing, like that was just how you, you had to have cable or you had no TV or you had to have uh, antennas or you just had no TV. Yeah, what's the general history on TV? We probably had just a few stations for decades, right? Like 30, 40 years. Yeah. And then cable came around, which Three, very four rapidly channels. in 10 or 15 years displaced that and there were tons of channels everyone is familiar uh even even young people right now i think are familiar with cable box tv where you can cruise through thousands of channels and so that screwed everyone up and then that even more rapidly turned into direct digital distribution through any device i want to plug in a computer right and so now you're fragmented to the point of i can watch 10 billion different people produce whatever they want on YouTube. So right, so people put a lot of money into getting the conduit in place cuz you needed a cable that you needed literal physical cable under the ground running from one place to another or you had to have a big complicated satellite dish that would then run to cable under the ground. Which, to be fair, is still how we do the internet, right? Like, that infrastructure still has to happen because we're not wireless enough. For the that. internet mostly runs on the same infrastructure. And so we used to use over the air. We still do. They have HD broadcast channels over the air to catch television. 
because that was just the best way to do it because there weren't cables run. Once there were cables run, they could run way more channels into your house. Now we've got enough cables in place that people are looking at it and they're thinking it's a utility, like the way that we think of water, like we talked about with Ian on that other podcast. Like people think of internet as that, like uh, a utility. And once people regard it as a utility, it has to be as cheap as water. And then the best you can do is make stuff that draws eyeballs. Um, but part of that has to do with regulation, right? So there are a lot of like, like because radio spectrum was limited and because you got to dig in the ground, you got to do all kinds of stuff, tons of money, giant projects, like cities get invested in who gets the contract to lay cable for a Time Warner install in a city, right? Like that's the scale of project you're talking about. Like, it's like huge municipal utility scale projects. It's huge. And so they're like, so there has to be a certain amount of regulation. And so what this gets us into is like this idea of if you, if you assume what we always keep talking about, which is like technology is some, is a force and not like a a, a thing, right? You have to, it's going to progress like it's alive yeah. and it's going to continue to diffuse as much as it possibly can. And then the best way we can hope to piggyback on doing something like, so we're already starting to do everywhere that's happening everywhere. So it's not just content delivery, but content was very important to us. So we progressed really quickly with here are these ways we can reproduce this reality. Right. But now we're working on 3d printing and things like that, where we're taking this production mechanism for physical things and diffusing it on some level to the people, which gets us to the epi pencil. The epi pencil. (laughs) Which, Which we had a nice, uh, conversation about on facebook i feel like i wanted to call it an argument because that would make people more like oh shit trolls let's go read it (laughs) but i you know it was a nice discussion when i put up the video to this link (laughs) (laughs) um if you'd like to weigh in politely feel free um so as a side note you're very energized at the moment (laughs) you're very fired up about our topic well because this is this like you said like you said before we started recording this, uh, we don't need segues as long as everything comes back to the topic that we eventually write a book on. Which is, which <laughs> tends to be, let's see here, we've got technology as a living entity that we can no longer fight against. Right. We've got technology attempting to reproduce reality for us. Essentially, I think we're going to write The Matrix, but I think that was already a thing. Yeah, that's assuming it's a fictional book. What if it's just a textbook for how to deal with this, the Terminators? Oh, I, actually, right? that makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> Sci-fi always kind of sets the stage and then right. you follow up um, with actual... So anyway, so the, the, so the frustration with the Olympics is just a, a, a representation of, of technology outpacing a business, the ability to uh, affect change and people's personal decisions now... Uh, having real impact on big businesses that used to have a stranglehold on everything. And that leads into what and our main topic is That's because of today. a certain diffusion of... Of... Information. Of, like, of, of information, yeah, that used to be... It's entirely information at the moment. Like, inter- in, in a more interesting way, too, though. Not just information, but also, like, content delivery mechanism. 
Yeah. And I say content so broadly because that can be anything, right? It's just, it's the physical manifestation of this data. And if you could pass that data, you can get the creation of that thing one step closer to people. And so with right. media, we're passing digital data back and forth and reconstituting it on either side via the codec that understands the language of how that video is encrypted and making it exist again, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy because it's all just pictures or just moving light around, which is stupid easy if you have cables running everywhere. <laughs> but like, but with things like 3D printing popping up, like we're not necessarily beholden to that that growth behavior, that like organic Terminator resistance is futile spread of technology. Like, wasn't resistance is futile going to be our like our tagline for the whole thing? <laughs> it probably did. Still can be. We don't have a tagline oh. at the moment. And I, I feel like we haven't talked about what we should call the podcast in a long time. Um, so I put up a link on Facebook that was to a, a video for what's called the Epi Pencil. But I feel like to introduce this in case anyone has is listening to this in 10 years and they don't remember this public news cycle <laughs> for like three weeks. Um, do you want to... What's the EpiPen? Yeah, let's, let's introduce the EpiPen, which is what starts all this. So... The EpiPen is a prescription drug and prescription delivery device for people who have, I think for the most part, people who have extreme allergies to things like uh, bee stings, insect stings, uh, peanuts, eggs, milk, I don't know, whatever. People have very aggressive uh, allergic responses, unnatural allergic responses that could cause them to die. Right. Allergic and responses on the caliber of like you have... In some cases, 10 to 15, like your throat closes and you have as long as it takes you to suffocate yep. to do something about it or your very aggressive no. responses. And in our research for this episode, we discovered that three and a half million EpiPens were prescribed to Americans in 2015. No, that's three and a half million prescriptions. Three and a half million I, prescriptions, excuse me. But if you you got to extrapolate that from that from that because every person I know that has an EpiPen has Tons one in their them. purse, one in their car, like one in a drawer in the kitchen, Tons one in a drawer in the bedroom. Because like in your house and the places where you're not necessarily like with it in your pocket, you don't want to be far away from it. You need. You might die. Right, because what you do with an EpiPen is when you are stung by a bee and begin to have an allergic reaction, you have to quickly pull this pen out, whether that's a, within a few seconds, I don't think it's usually that quick, but within a few minutes or a half an hour, you have to get this pen and inject yourself with a big needle with a lot of, of this drug that uh, basically gives induces the fight or flight response that right. adrenaline What's epinephrine is, right it's just right. A, it's the brand name for adrenaline right uh actually both are brand names i also discovered oh, while really? we were having technical difficulties <laughs> so and there's some disputes and it's very interesting but so it, it's people think of adrenaline adrenaline is what people know epinephrine is sort of the, think of as the drug name but it, it's this very aggressive response that you have when you're about to be eaten by a tiger and so by injecting humans with artificial adrenaline uh, to save their life from fighting, to allow them to fight a tiger, you prevent them from dying from an unnatural allergic response to a bee sting. And so you have to have these pens around. And three and a half million people in the U.S. need them. Probably safe 000, to say that's five pens per prescription. At least. 
at right. least. So you're talking tens, potentially tens of millions of pens and that have to be bought every year. And it expires yearly. So you got to buy a new one of these every year. So whatever this number is, like you're making whatever you're you're selling that number every year because people don't fuck around with this. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> they get I their would, prescription filled. I would they want an expired thing, pen, right? You don't want the expired pen when you're you're in in dire need of this drug. I, but so let's talk. So take a step back. Mm-hmm. Adrenaline. Adrenaline is I, I don't understand the biology of it, so I'm not even going to flail at what the right words are. But it's a chemical. Your body produces it to produce a certain effect, right? The fight or flight response. Some, something similar, yeah. It's just Very a chem- it's just it's just a chemical compound, though. It's a hydrocarbon. Standard. It's a standard biological uh, compound that's mostly hydrogen and carbon and some oxygen, and Looks so like a few other things. Very simple biological compound. And so the actual compound epinephrine. You said brand name, right? is yep. under that brand name, patented, which mm-hmm. means no one else is allowed to produce for sale a version of that molecule. I don't know if that's the case. There are some vagaries because there's generic drugs. like the, So your patent only lasts for a certain amount of time, and then you can, then other people are allowed to reverse engineer it and make it, but that's super regulated in the States. Like the drug companies basically have a monopoly, whereas you can get it so cheap in Canada because the expert, the patent has is deliberately limited and can it's it, the chemical is readily accessible mm-hmm. i think epinephrine is now in that state you can probably get epinephrine with a prescription somewhere else in the world very very cheap well the wholesale cost in the developing world is between 10 cents and 95 cents a vial doesn't say how much a vial is here but i'm assuming that's a dose right if it's multiple doses across multiple vials then they probably should use a larger vial and this is a chemical that is like going to be injected directly into the body. The delivery mechanism is intravenous. Like you're you're pumping it directly. Very small quantities of impurity in this drug could really fuck with you. Because if it doesn't work, you die. If it works the wrong way, you maybe die. You're injecting it into your body. I bet you can overdose really easily too. Right, right. So, So the delivery of this is pretty important. But part of that is like, so it's like the stakes for screwing up a drug like this are pretty high. And so the regulation required to like that you have to get through to make this drug exist and then put it out in the world, like it costs a lot in that way. It's like I was saying with cable, like in order to have what we have exist right now, the internet, it required a lot of money and work. Yeah, it costs billions of dollars to take a drug to market in the United States. And that, that I don't know if that necessarily includes all the various costs of that, like all the research, all of the time. Right. It's, it's just, it's incredibly expensive. And so these companies have to recoup value. Uh, they have to recoup what they invest or there's no reason to produce drugs. There's no mechanism to produce drugs like this. They can't be produced for free. Right. They um, can't be developed for free. They and can't so part of the, sort of the problem here yeah. is Development costs are really, really high. But then once it's been developed, it's just a chemical. They can make it as cheaply as you buy bleach. Like making a chemical and having it come out the other side is different degrees of complexity for of, of chemistry, mm-hmm. right? And they're certainly sure. more difficult. But once you have that process nailed down, mass production 
is generally pretty cheap. So if you keep the company alive and you keep producing it, you make back your development money pretty fast. It's super high stakes. But drugs is a pretty good place to be. And so what we're starting to see is these drugs that were developed 20-some years ago are starting to have this patent that they can't renew expire, which means other companies are going to be able to replace it generically. And so part of the like the political beef that's going on right now has to do with the regulations on generic drugs because you could run a scheme where these drugs that are now really cheap in Canada, because the regulation is different, you could just reimport them into the States and they don't allow that. And so our drugs continue to be expensive, even though you could walk across a line and get the thing really cheap. That's a pretty common thing that we see here in Southern California too. Uh, I think you even hear and see advertisements for it to go to Mexico to purchase drugs very inexpensively, um, whether those be off-brand uh, produced in Mexico or just very everything. I mean, when you go into right. Tijuana, for instance, there are pharmacias everywhere that have all all major brand names of drugs that you see on TV all day, just wildly inexpensive and without prescription. Right. Whether or not that's necessarily legal in Mexico either, but yeah, um, same, clearly same, there's a same. demand for it. But what's important is to realize that the certain, to a certain level, like, so developing that compound was really expensive, just like installing all the cable. But at some point, it's just data that can be passed digitally, just like the visual information we were talking about. And if you can put the mechanism in place to reproduce it on the other end, just as easily as we, we reproduce light for video, like, it, that stuff is going to start to, when it's not the same way, the level of outrage you're going to get out of people is going to climb. And here we're talking about a drug like epinephrine that is really important to get to people that is now available somewhere else really, really cheaply. And so all EpiPen really has going for it as like an investment is certain stuff locked in place that kind of feels antiquated if you grew up with the same delivery mechanisms that all millennials did. So tell tell us what... uh. The Epi Pencil is so the that Epi, you posted to yeah, Facebook so, the other day. So the video that I put on Facebook that started the the conversation was a hacker quote hacker group that was well. So wait, we got to go one step further back. So the, so that's epinephrine, right? The chemical mm -hmm. epinephrine, the important part of that equation, the thing that costs so much to develop. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that saves people's lives. The EpiPen puts another layer on top of it that I think they can patent in a way that doesn't expire because it's a mechanical product and not a mm. drug. So it's not the regulation systems are different. It's a drug delivery mechanism. So the FDA mm -hmm. probably still controls it. It has a whole separate set of laws that go with that and all that kind of stuff, right? Double so it's, whammy it's, a, it's a pen that's like the size of a, a big kind of maybe double length magic marker. A and big hot dog, like a it big just has a Frank, right? About that size. <laughs> and it has to take the cap off bat. and you jab it into your leg and then you press a button like you see people do into their hearts in the movies when they, you know, whatever shit happens. Yeah, I'm picturing. And that delivers uh, the rock. this adrenaline shot, right? So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've seen the rock. And when Nick Except Cade... I don't think the needle is that large in real life. Wasn't his needle like four inches? Well, he had to do he, this chemical that Cardiac. was causing a problem for him was so intense that he had to inject it directly into his heart to save his life. Same idea. I think it though, was epinephrine, man. though. 
But so that delivery mechanism, they control a patent on also. Um, it's a big fucking needle if you watch the video. It's a very large gauge needle, and it goes very deep into the skin. And so what happened with the EpiPen... And Below so when the we, skin, we were through the when skin. We were, when we were talking about, yeah, like it has to get a certain depth into the muscle. So it's not a tiny needle. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's a complicated mechanism. But so they also own the patent on that. And put together, this is the thing that people get. Because the pen is, it's, it's, a, it's a really handy, swift delivery mechanism for this thing that you have to get in your system on, a, on the clock or else you're in trouble. So this whole unit has monopolized the market on epinephrine delivery. Mostly because they used to cost $100 for two of them. And that's a bearable expense for the convenience of this delivery mechanism and this chemical that was really hard to de- to develop. So this other company bought the intellectual property and the rest of the company, which does probably mean they picked up any debt that they had. They bought this company that made the EpiPen and they jacked the price up to like $638, where it used to be $100. So you run the math on how much that's costing people for a thing that I think we've established they don't fuck around with not having, if they have the means to make sure they can do this. Like, it, it that's, a, that's, that's a giant increase in what it costs. And so after the outcry, they've backed it off to like $320. But it's still three, three and a half, three times, whatever more expensive than it used to Mm -hmm. be. So there's been a whole bunch of outcry. And the video that I put up was a, quote, hacker group's response to it, where they showed you how if you have a a prescription for epinephrine that we just established, you can, I think, even just get in the States with a prescription, probably way cheaper than an EpiPen. You could just order it off of a website. I don't think you need a prescription for for the device either. But I don't want to be prescribing that people do illegal things. Like, I don't, you know. Don't. Don't buy, you don't need, don't, don't anyone inject anything while you're listening to this episode. Right. That's, that, that's not a good plan. <laughs> um, but it's important to understand all these mechanisms so we can have the, the, uh, whoa, conversation later. Unless right? maybe it's a jello <laughs> shot in one of those like shot syringes that you can get at pool parties. But you that's can, not, you can, that's injecting it into your mouth. I would call it. Turkey a, baster is not an injection. <laughs> it's more of a squirt. It's more of a squirt. If you insert it into your mouth and then <laughs> so, squirt it, maybe uh, that's an injection. So this hacker group put up a thing where there so there's another device that's basically an EpiPen that you can install a syringe into that is also a pretty well produced device because needlephobic diabetics use it. Um so people that need insulin regularly, it's not as urgent. Usually they would just have a syringe and they would give themselves a shot. Which also proves that for a large population, you should look up the numbers on diabetics. For a large population, probably larger than the people that need these EpiPens, there are people who just regularly give themselves injections. So it's not even like they can't figure out the syringe technology. And then over here you have another device, which is probably medically approved, that that they use with the syringe setup that you know you can make people familiar with how to use properly. You put it into this device that basically looks like an EpiPen that you can open the back of, and you drop the thing in, you lock it into place with the registration stuff, and it basically becomes an EpiPen. But it was developed for diabetics who are so needle-phobic that they can't give themselves a shot, but they also, on a slightly longer timeline, will die if they don't get this drug. 
And it, it's just a spring-loaded thing that pushes the needle forward so it goes in your leg and then presses the plunger down and does the same thing that an EpiPen does with a slightly different mechanism that you, quote, hacked together out of these pieces. There's no reason you couldn't use that with epinephrine. So they, on yeah, YouTube... The guy in the video actually injects himself with saline after making this. It's like a five-minute video. He builds it right in front of you mm-hmm. and then gives himself a saline injection with it. Which, again, it could not be saline. You, you could fake that. Please don't it, inject you know, yourself I with don't, saline. I haven't actually played with any of these devices, right? But all I'm doing is talking up the fact of, like, I think it's probably pretty safe as far as i'm walking walking down this road I, again i'm not saying anybody should do it i bought it when i watched the video i, I believed that he injected himself right so i like that commitment you didn't buy the product you i thought about it you believe <laughs> what you saw in the video what right? do i need to inject something in a hurry but this device oh, is so but what started the conversation wasn't so much this video as the comment i put up with it that just said like like it basically said, this is a parallel. Sit- this is Napster. This is Napster for drugs, <laughs> right? And people were like, I don't know. And so, like, it's worth talking about all that regulation and all that kind of stuff to understand like what it takes to make a drug and how hard it is to get a drug to market. Mm-hmm. But then you can't divorce yourself from the fact that that production mechanism is media-like in the sense that we've gotten it down to, if you could three D print chemicals, which is really not a an impossibility that's too far away. Like they 3d print organs in hospitals. Those devices cost a shitload and they work with really crazy chemicals that also cost a shitload, but that's only going to continue to spread along the path that we talk about on every one of these in that same organic way, right? That hot. (laughs) (laughs) Epinephrine (laughs) injectable. I think that was actually my reply to Alan's comment on there. (laughs) um and then i said but seriously and then i said a bunch of other shit but like it's worth considering like what what do you do in a situation where it's probably pretty dangerous to build this thing yourself but the dude can do it in a way that's pretty cheap so there's some threshold upper price for that epinephrine for that epipen that is a great enough convenience charge for delivery on top of the actually important piece of this thing, right? This chemical composition in a world where everyone understands that these things diffuse and should be cheaper after a certain point in time. Yeah. Well, it's a, uh, it's the same situation that we were discussing on a lighter topic with the Olympics. There's a, the company that sold its rights to this drug and the EpiPen probably wasn't producing enough money. They had some reason to get rid of it, right? If, if it was profitable to them, why would they sell it off? And so they sold it to this company and this company's like, well, if I'm going to make money on what I just bought, I need to raise the price. And so... Well, the problem is when, when they say, here's how much we need to charge to cover what we think this is worth, which is usually based on their financial situation. And they do that with a drug that is you know, has worked its way into people's lives in a way that's just as commoditized as the media delivery I was talking about before. Like it's utility level shit. Getting it to us is really, really important. But after that, the development of that mechanism has happened, like you you can't hold on to proprietary delivery for long. And I think, I think you can't hold that against, you can't look at the people and say, 
no, this should be, this is what this costs. Let me explain to you why. It costs what the market will bear. And the market on this stuff is difficult because you can go to Canada and get it really cheap. Well, you've got a huge percentage of the population <laughs> now, a growing percentage that will soon be the majority that has grown up in a world where they've seen, where they've both seen and they're educated enough to understand that the marginal cost on everything is headed towards zero. And so nobody wants to pay something that doesn't actually support what they're, that doesn't, is not appropriate for what they're consuming. Nobody wants to pay for middleman costs. No one wants to pay for profit for other people. This information is wildly available now to, to the idea of a, a, he, maybe these are huge companies, but they're unknown. No one, I couldn't have named the company that makes epinephrine the other day, even though it's probably a fortune 50 company. It's probably, they're probably huge, but the fact that that news can circle the globe and inform tens or hundreds of millions or billions of people in a day. And then within that, within that same day, someone can hack together a homemade version of a device that costs $600, share that video with the same population of the world and probably have thousands of people that day starting to make their own replacement epinephrine pen because they can't afford a $600 pen to save their lives. That's absolutely unfathomable to someone who was alive 10 years ago. And this has already happened in markets like music because the media is easier to deliver. But when the media of what you need to reconstitute at the other side is just molecules and we can manipulate them, like we're not getting to the crazy nuclear level replicator shit, but like when you can print an organ in a hospital- Very close. And it follows the same- like if that same technology, because it's profitable enough and they can bring the margin down and down and down and down enough to make it accessible to more and more and more people, like the marginal cost continues to go down on that production mechanism. And eventually you could maybe have in your garage the mechanism that you need to print an organ. Installation would Not be maybe. tricky. Not maybe. Like, We're for sure going to have could that. could already have it if you had $300,000. Or whatever those cost, billions. If you have billions of dollars, you <laughs> could have it in your billion dollars. Three hundred trillion. It's like it's definitely you, over that point that's accessible to anyone. You could have a three D printer on your desk right now. You could have a three D printer on your desk within twenty four hours with free shipping from Amazon for probably a thousand, maybe a couple thousand dollars. That would print every part of that, that epinephrine you, pen except the needle and maybe the spring. And you could have that delivered tomorrow and print yourself an EpiPen probably within an hour or two, and you'd right. have the whole device. And so we can't print a drug yet. You can't print epinephrine at home. We don't have a 3D printer for that. But you could probably also order the chemicals online and reproduce that at home. You can look that up and follow a process. A wildly complex stuff to figure out. Millennia for human beings to understand these things. And only the last hundred years that we've really been been taking advantage of them but now you can watch a video and probably this is probably maybe not quite this simple but you can probably follow a video and do chemistry at home with a lab that you build for a few thousand dollars and make your own epinephrine sometimes they would explode like meth labs but think about how often you actually hear about meth lab explosions (laughs) that's really dangerous chemistry I used like, to live in the 80s and, meth lab capital and really of the world, and I never once <laughs> experienced a meth lab explosion. <laughs> Prince George's County? <laughs> I feel like everywhere uh, I've lived, someone has told me that it used to be the meth lab capital of the world. <laughs> but so, like... Real problem. 
again, it's not that I'm advocating for one or the other, right? It's like, it's more like it's, it's the same, it's the same message. Like if you think of technology as a fungus, like it's going to behave like mold does, <laughs> then you have to assume that it's going to continue to spread the same way. And we're going to end up with, eventually it'll get limited most likely by something, right? But like right now, the fact that you could print that epinephrine pen and not even have to hack it together from those pieces at CVS, you could 3D print one mm -hmm. and literally have every single mechanism and put it together by hand instead of with a machine and have exactly their device. There's a lot of safety concerns with this topic, but the, but the general concept is that's kind of irrelevant to the, the but so then the question we're talking about this The question going. is, though, if you diffuse that completely... Then what you come to, what it comes down to is it's it's to a certain degree risky to inject something into your body, and it's risky to inject that thing if you cooked it up at home. But recreational <laughs> drugs certainly prove that people aren't afraid of that. And in that world, I think you have to assume that even something like drugs diffuses it. Even even drug production is going to be eaten by software. Absolutely. Absolutely. The the eventual cost of everything seems like it's going to reduce to the Water, actual power, electricity like, of the physical thing that it's made up of. So whatever your EpiPen is made of, if it's made of whatever its, its chemical elements are, the chemical elements that the epinephrine is made of, the oxygen right. and carbon and hydrogen, it will be the, the retail wholesale price of hydrogen molecules that pump into your molecule printer and spit out what you want right that's where we're headed easily soon obviously right. right it's just if you follow that trend right and so maybe it dies at some point and maybe no. the answer is that epinephrine is actually worth that 300 dollars. but particularly in the drug realm that's a hard sell when we know that it costs less in other countries and the word spreads at the speed of light it's a it's an interesting time period because Everyone's hyper aware of inefficiencies. They're hyper aware of the pace of technology and the change in these trends and the market prices and global because marketing. Of the but, media revolution. Like because of what we talked about with the Olympics before and the importance of delivering media right. light, delivering light to us. We weren't just, we didn't just grow up like, we didn't just grow up, oh, using the next thing. Like, we grew up with every big company with giant budgets to make sure we adopted the next thing because yeah. that's how they were going to sustain their business model. The big companies didn't know this was coming. Our they economy wanted our, you on VHS. Our economic, our global economic model didn't realize what it was doing to itself. And so now here we are with like, you're looking at, okay, where's the future of this stuff? And part of that comes to government and the very regulation that's very important for making sure that the thing that you get most likely won't kill you unless you fuck it up. Like the thing, right? That's how an EpiPen works because you, you don't have to think about the right amount. You don't have to put it in a needle with no air bubble. You don't have to, you know, stuff like that. So the very chemical itself being produced properly is really, really important. But like, if you're trying to plan for what kind of regulation works in a world where that's happening, you have to you have to get ready to have the government control everything because once the demand is monetized, <laughs> right? I mean, is that where we're going? Like that's that's because that I, as I say it, like that sounds terrifying. It is, it is, but I don't think you took it far enough. Actually, 
Where we're headed is a place where computation decides and regulates everything. It's not a room full of people who've been elected to vote on things. It's a machine that's crunching numbers and says, this is what the market needs right now. And that's dangerous. And we see that happening already in markets where real assets don't exist. It's how the stock markets run right now. It's computers making decisions and humans have over and over again being removed from the system. There used to be a big floor in New York called the New York Stock Exchange floor where humans would exchange pieces of paper as they traded stock. pieces of paper represented orders for other pieces of paper. Billions of dollars. (laughs) That went away. Representing the exchange of an asset. (laughs) Those people don't do that anymore because the new competition for stock trading is computers that have gotten progressively faster and moved closer to the source of information so they can get a slight marginal increased opportunity to make more money. And that level of computation deciding how things work and how things run kind of seems to be what is coming for everything. How do you how do you judge market prices for drugs? How do you regulate a a, a whole business? It's not going to be people debating on it. It's going to be feeding information about that market into a computer and letting that computer make the decision. And it's because of the same thing it always is. We're trying to <laughs> c- contract communication. We're trying to contract communication lag on our desires and their manifestation. <laughs> we've never <laughs> right? said it that way before. That is that so is like, further down the line than we've ever gotten so, with that. Yeah, time. this is this this is this Say is Say that again. Um Contract. I don't know if I can. We're trying to contract the time to, frame from our desire. We're trying to decrease the <laughs> lag between our desire, a shift in our desire, or and our desire and its immediate and its fulfillment. Let's not right? forget this because I liked you. I liked it how you said it the first time. It's a good thing it's recorded. We're putting it on a shirt. Let me try it. Let me try it. We're decreasing. This is epic. This is deeper than, than contracting. We're contracting the. We're reducing the time frame from someone wanting something to someone having something. Right. That's what all technology is, and it's all. It tends to all be and so information giving getting something. What is this thing? Right. And so for this to happen with the EpiPen, they had to buy the company, jack it up to what they thought the market would bear. I think it was only like that for a day. I think all of this right outrage so, happened, and the price was reduced that day. Yeah, the and coupon. then there was a congressional hearing. Where Congress was like, hey, what's going on here? And they defended themselves and they backed off to $300. But I don't even think the market bears that, right? So their mechanism for gauging the desire of the population that they're selling to and responding to negative, uh, a negative reaction to that change caused them to lower the price. And I think they'll continue to lower it until they hit a threshold where people stop jumping ship. Even a day and a half can be further contracted so that they don't lose the money that they would lose just because of that blip of testing the market. If you can contract the time it takes to do the PR cleanup, to to reattract people that want to come back to your device if they did jump ship, like so you end up saving money by having an algorithm just figure out from whatever data input, which we seem to be freely giving them via social media, which is another whole topic in itself. Well, al- along these exact lines, I believe that Amazon.com, very large online retailer for those who aren't familiar, 
attempted to, or it didn't just attempt, they started doing price testing on their website. And so they uh, would adjust prices for items for different people and see what the market would bear. They essentially fed the purchase data, the demand for items into their computer systems, and they were going to drive prices of items on their site based on what people would actually pay, which I think in a lot of ways probably ends up being a benefit for the consumer. You will now get an item for the price that you want to pay for it. It's averaged out across the population of people buying things. Um, so maybe someone wants something more than you, but the seemingly obvious extension there is there's probably something you want more than that other person and you'll get a better price on it. Uh, people reacted horribly. It became very obvious. I mean, if you have two browsers open or you went on from your phone or your computer, you might see a different price. And people said right away, what's going on? This is complete bullshit. You're charging someone else less or more than me. Um, and then it became a human response of fairness. Uh, it's not fair that you're charging them less for the same thing. Uh, even though ultimately it might've driven it to the same price for everybody. People didn't want to be treated unfairly. And part of that has to do with the fact that we know that it's cheaper in other places, which makes you feel, even if there's an offset to this equation, it makes you feel like it can be done in this giant population for cheaper, right? So like- We now know that. We know right. immediately when we're being treated unfairly in the world. And this this is showing up in everything. It's a big, it's a huge deal for things that involve life or death. When I can't afford to buy- the new iPhone that comes out, I'm just stuck with my old phone or maybe my landline phone or God forbid, maybe no phone and I have to talk to people directly or send a letter. If I can't buy an epinephrine pen, I die. So it's a space where the the way our world works, the way we have a global economy functioning is based on capitalism. You have to make money to produce goods. You have to pay for what you're doing. But in this case, it's a it's how do you deal with an industry like this where if you price it anywhere above $0, someone's going to die from not having something. They look at the media right now looking at shootings, people being shot every day there's a video circling the globe of someone being shot by a police officer and i don't think it's anything new we just know about it i because doubt this communication right. gap is closing and as that communication gap closes you also expect quicker gratification on things that are important or you right. expect we that stuff to be cheaper. faster we want we want items to be less expensive we want we want social issues to be resolved faster we want and then we want that information to come faster and shared quicker next time and resolution to be faster everything is perpetuating itself at an increasing rate. And so when those are the existence parameters for a demographic of people, whether it's media or drugs or whatever, the social system, change. yeah, it's, it, it becomes a social change. So it's like when you talk about the price of a drug and how we control that, it used to be a, a business question. And now they're becoming social questions because people are going like, well, is it okay that X like they're having philosophical conversations about how much is it worth if, to not die. And that's We're, why health insurance is so here we go. It took us like 45 minutes, but we just got to why this topic is so uncomfortable, <laughs> right? Because when you're talking about something like healthcare, we're looking at a world where the, what people demand is a certain, like that, that, that gap between need or desire and fulfillment to be closing because that's how they've chased us our whole lives. 
And maybe that's unreasonable. Maybe the answer is millennials shouldn't expect that. But if it exists that way in Canada, it's going to be really hard to sell that to a giant group of people that are all talking to one another <laughs> directly, right? We're, we're, we are accidentally <laughs> democratizing all of this stuff. Right. Because I think just the impulse is to democratize. Like ants and, I yeah. mean, your structures are different, right? But nature spreads shit out in the same diffused manner anytime it can. It's just what's like entropy. Is that the term for it? Like increase in disorder. The opposite. So, so, the opposite of what we're talking about, I think. Right. Maybe not. But so the reason that it's that you got to think about the thought experiment we started this whole thing with that's sort of uncomfortable is like, what's the Napster of everything? What's the Uber of everything? Because Uber was not like, wasn't an invention that was novel. Like it was an inevitable next step in the way that we behave. So when somebody, when you talk about, oh, they're used to Uber. Ugh. Like, nah, that's no Uber was going to happen no matter what it was named. Um, all Uber it seems did to be a vital part of the simulation. Call. <laughs> Uber was just satisfying was millennials' convenient. urge to not make phone calls. Oh, yeah. I just want to send a text message is. and get my cab. We just dove off the deep end of that one. God damn millennials. Uh, they just, Are we millennials? Just, I, just barely, I think we what maybe fit. We graduated high school in the very first year of the millennium, 2000. In the new millennium. Millennials infographic no who are millennials uh millennials are classified as being born between 1977 and the year 2000 yeah it's so it's it's back to that sort of it's like i think it, resistance is futile sounds like a bad way to say it but like it all comes back to this sort of oneness like it's it's happening because we're closing communication gaps. Like we're putting human brains and that means human emotions and blah 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 closer to one another in terms of the ability to communicate that that sentiment to one another, right? So yeah. we can really quickly tell the drug drug companies, "Oh, that doesn't work." Like even before we can we have to hit them in the wallet. We can just yeah. say, "This is going to hit you in the wallet." And they listen. It's uh it's definitely I like the reference to a sense of oneness. I think it's uh we've got two people here right now who don't use epinephrine pens, who don't need epinephrine to survive, and we're clearly very interested in the topic and care about the concept at least of not just being profit driven. Whether or not that was the actual reason for the price increase on this, irrelevant. That's not but right. there is as this information spreads, it's more like, are the have... expectations reasonable? Right? right. And I think you can't think of it that way because you don't get to, you don't get to what, what they mean when they say that it, it, what the market will bear is like that. What you have to charge for your thing is what doesn't upset people in whatever direction that is. Right. And so in a world where everyone is very aware of that, if you're in business, you don't get to look at people and then say, you don't have the right to be outraged. Like in a world where this thing used to cost something and they're jacking the price way up to the point that it sounds dangerous. Like they don't get to look at us. It's same with the Olympics. They don't get to take a thing that is so revered that we have like by tradition, stop warring with other states <laughs> in order to have the Olympics for a week. Like, the tradition is that hallowed and they've monetized it to a point 
And now we're going, yeah, yeah, that that's kind of like when a generation when when then some people go, okay, that was nice, but now the status quo is you're you're kind of upsetting us with how much this costs and we really would like access. And they go, Well, that's because you're a little bitch. Like, how do you think <laughs> those people are gonna respond? Right? So no wonder they're upset and they're going off to Netflix, where Netflix goes, Oh, you're on iPads? Here, have it over here. Have as much of it as you want. It'll Unless cost you're on you seven ninety nine a, a month. Different country. Anytime you want entertainment, have it right over here. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Very passionate topic. We're starting to get into that territory though, where like we're this is becomes the oneness of our episodes as well. Because like there were so many different times when I just then wanted to be like, it's like we talked about in the fucking driving cars episode like self-driving cars yeah we need to pick some like topics at random and see how we can get back to this see if Uh, we do get back to this because like one of the things with the idea of a self-driving car is like if you if you run into a pothole there isn't really a mechanism for you to report to every other person that there's a pothole on this street you can maybe tell the city they might fix it self-driving cars if they're all connected to one another all know that there's a pothole on that road the second that another car feeds it into the stream. Yeah. And then we don't so need the, to fix the pothole. We can just avoid it until it's a big enough problem that people die. And then we back off the algorithm that avoids those potholes. Right. But we're just, <laughs> we're doing the same thing anyway. It just takes a really long time to process and change that algorithm. Just everything is a computer. It just doesn't feel like a computer when it's made out of meat and it's made out of people walking documents down a hallway and handing them to another one, which is how the government functions. <laughs> my, uh, my brother posted a great comic to Facebook yesterday. <clears throat> it was a man in a suit and tie carrying a briefcase walking down a hall next to a dog also wearing a suit and tie carrying a briefcase and the dog said something like i decided to join i decided to join you in the hopes to find meaning in my life but i've discovered that this is just an elaborate game of fetch (laughs) (laughs) i really liked that i thought it was great and it's it's that same sentiment that you just summed up with so so much enthusiasm i think we built that into this into the simulation for the same reason that dogs like it. Fetch is fun. Uh, is, but is there meaning in fetch? I feel like a dog in a suit is a good place to, to end, end this one. I also feel like a dog when I'm in a suit. Because you're sweaty? Mm, I'm not sure what I meant by it. I but don't think dogs If sweat. we don't address it, everyone can draw their own conclusion. Maybe that's... Maybe that is why... You didn't get funding in your first round when you were working on stuff with the, the startups. <laughs> like, you can't just sniff people's buttholes the first time you meet them in a business context, Brian. <laughs> you can't pant during presentations either. That sends the wrong message. <laughs> okay, let's get out of here. Uh, I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Uh, you know, find us on the, the places and the things and review us on the other things. And... Thank you if you have hung around this long. You're making my dogs bark. Nailed it. I fucking destroyed that. <laughs> my best outro ever. <laughs>